What's up everyone, welcome to another North Leeds Jits podcast. Today on the show, as always, joined by Professor Mike. Good afternoon. <laughs> How are we? Are we good, T? We're good, I'm just telling Professor Mike that my hay fever's killing me. He's offered me a little bit of honey. Uh, that's not, not for sale. That's don't, not get, a, don't get excited. That's not a euphemism, he, he does make honey. <laughs> do, do, do people know that? Professor Mike's a beekeeper, do they know that? Well, I think on one of the first shows we did talk about um, you could start a honey or a beekeeping podcast. Yeah, good. And I would start the Harry Potter podcast. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. We're definitely not doing that. <laughs> Got to diversify. Yeah. Yeah, just me and Mike today. Feels empty, doesn't it? It does feel like they've got it's a lot. It's quite nice. Yeah. I think it's quite nice we're doing a separate one. But Well, I remember when we were doing one of the last uh, ones, me and you did together, we were like, oh, this might be like the last one we do for a long time. Which yeah, kind of has, has been, been, basically, yeah. yeah. But they've been really popular, haven't they? Yeah, loads of people um, messaging us or like coming into the academy saying, oh, I kind of feel like I know you guys already. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the members seem to like it, so that's cool. I think so. I think it's a nice... So it's a nice thing to celebrate the members and the diverse membership that we have. Um, there's still a few I'd like to do. We've just had a, a shout out to Nick Butterfield, our first opera professional opera singer member. Mm. That's pretty cool. Although I did say to him, like, someone's going to be hanging off your neck now, mate, for the next 10 years. Like, is that good for singing? <laughs> Um, he's unsure. We're going to figure it out. Someone Ezekiel. That's right. Yeah. He's crushing his larynx. And then I'd like to get, um, we've got a nice one coming up, haven't we, with Ben Bond and Tom Walker. That's going to be cool. Yep. We won't talk about the topic there, but that okay. is that is going to be exciting. Uh, we've got Craig Tatley coming up. Craig Lally being a really good one. He's done jiu-jitsu. I don't know much about him, but I just know. I Yeah, I know Craig for a long time. So Craig is a black belt under Braulio. And I think, I won't steal his thunder here, but I think he pretty much lived out the boot of his car mm. for some time to train with Braulio, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to him about that. And he runs Gracie Barra Bradford. Um, so he's a cool guy to talk to. So he's coming on next week, right? Yeah, and we um, we recently did that one with Lewis. That was pretty fun. Kind of done the, done around, being around the bit of the north area. I wonder if Josh Taylor would come on and talk to us because Josh is, it's different. Um, and again, he's kind of, kind of like the Gracie, slightly different lineage. Yeah. So um, under Henner and Heron and stuff. So that would be an interesting one. Josh Taylor, shout out to you if you want to. Yeah, we'll reach out. We'll clip this out and send that to Josh. <laughs> um, so what are we talking about today, man? Well, as always, it's a it's a free flowing kind of thing, Mike. But we did reach out to some members on well, people on our Instagram and ask for some questions. So it might be nice just to start things off with that and to see where we go. Cool. I'm going to try, uh, looking at the questions right now, I'll ask them in whatever order I think could be fun to do. Uh, and uh, let me see. I, I just have it as a screenshot, so I can't find out who um, asked this question, but the handle is, you might know it, uh, whack.aj97. Yeah. Uh, Definitely see when I'm on our page a bit. And I think we've talked about this before is can you share your story of when you first started BJJ and why? 
question mark smiley face. <laughs> uh, so, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? No, you shoot, man. So I started jiu-jitsu, uh, well, I first started training in 2002, I think. 2002, yeah. Uh, in the Royal Marines, so I was based up in Arbroath in Scotland. Nothing to do up there. It's chucking it down, freezing cold. We'd just been to Afghanistan, I think. Yeah, and we were due to go out. So we'd just done that. We were the first unit to do a tour of Afghanistan, so that was a big deal at the time. Um, literally, the mission was find Bin Laden. Well, that's your job. So we went and tried and find Bin Laden, blew up a load of shit. And then we, I was going to go to uh, Iraq the next year for the war. And in between that gap, we were kind of beat up for the war in Iraq. There was a guy called Dean Robertson who was fighting MMA in Scotland. He was from Glasgow, hard guy. Um, back in that day, there was a gym called Dinky Ninjas, which I think is still going. It's a famous, um, with a famous gym in Glasgow with a guy called I'm going to get the name wrong, something McVeigh, Paul McVeigh, I think, who fought in the UFC, and Dean used to fight for his gym, and would come back in, and there was a group of us. There was me. This guy called Wayne Orton, who's now a um, high-level medic out in Chamonix, doing like helicopter medic stuff. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, um, shout out to Wayne, he's a cool guy. He, so he used to train, a guy called Lee Calder as well, who, um, little scouse guy, who, I remember, that, I'm digressing here, but the air was so thin in Afghanistan that the helicopters were struggling to take off the Chinooks. So they weighed us all and weighed, weighed us our kit as well. And Lee had a heavier Bergen than he weighed. He was a GPMG gunner and had right, a heavier, yeah. but a man crazy. His legs were like this, so he could handle it. He used to train, there was a couple of other guys, and actually Nath, Nath Drinkle, did he train? He might have done, can't remember. But we used to push those, you know the big green old PE mats used to get like Hessian tops? Yeah. Push them together in the sports hall and we just used to train. We used to run, and Dee used to show some stuff. Um, it was pretty primitive. I went to this is bizarre went to an eric paulson seminar you may not have heard of eric paulson but you'll have heard of josh barnett probably who fought in the ufc catch wrestler eric paulson also fought ufc and in japan a lot and he flew over to aberdeen of all places in 2002 and taught a heel hook seminar oh, well. when no one knew what heel hooks were and it was like what the hell is it like i wasn't even a white belt i wasn't even training just no gi just rolling and we drove up there for an hour up the east coast there and trained, so that was good. And then, um, what happened then? I was training quite a bit, in and out of academies just all over when I was in the Marines. And then, but I wasn't under any kind of professor or anything. Then I left the Marines and tried to find a club. And I remember going to a place in London. I think I've talked about it before on a previous podcast. I had to go through this housing estate. And I was trying to find jiu-jitsu again in the real world. So I tried to, I went for this house estate through someone's lounge, I think, out the back door and into this like dungeon where there was like half a dozen Brazilian guys and a Swedish bloke. And they just beat me up for like two hours and then basically harassed me at the desk to sign up. Um, and I thought, if this is jiu-jitsu, man, I don't want to like it. Didn't do anything for a while and then stumbled across True Spirit MMA, which is now Game Fight. A guy called Mabsi Alam, black belt. Uh, he was a blue belt at the time, and started training like nogi grappling with them. But I didn't really like it. It was a very small, almost garage setup, and I got my arm popped in a, a very light roll by some idiot Polish guy, and I wasn't looked after by Mabsi or any of the guys. So I kind of left, and then discovered Gracie Bahar existed, 
and Tom Harris is running that at the time as a blue belt um, and the rest is history Victor Nottingham year in Ottawa and Canada trained all over the world took my gear everywhere I ever went and that's it so training from that was 2009 I think when I walked into True Spirit so trained for like eight years solid got my black belt in 2017 first degree of my black belt was due last year um, and now we're on the academy now, so it's crazy. Uh, for me, as you know, um, I was getting ready to join the Royal Marines, and I was you know, it's kind of like a medical coming up or something. And uh, one of the PTs at David Lloyd's, uh, James McMahon, oh, yeah. uh, knew I'd done like a lot of Thai boxing, and pointed uh, you out one time to me. He's like, "Oh, you see that guy down there." Uh, he just won um, silver at the British Open in Jiu-Jitsu. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, it was a purple belt at the time. Yeah. And um, then didn't think anything of it. You were like, that old guy down there yeah. on, on the pec deck machine? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then uh, while later, actually, I remember like seeing, I was in the pool and... Uh, I think you you'd gone out for um, use the outdoor shower, and I saw like you got like a Royal Marine tattoo on, on the yeah. nape of your neck. Yeah. Um, so I was going to go speak to you, but then for some reason I didn't. Then like later down the line, it would have been strange if you had approached me whilst I was in the shower outside I think naked. So. Not for you, for yeah. me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro, just while you're having a shower, can we have a chat about your tattoos? Like, no, mate. <laughs> Uh, later down the line, I bumped into you in the change room. Um, You're stalking me at this point. That's what the, yeah. that's what everyone's thinking. I like got your routine down, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you you were happiest after the chest day. So I approached you on a Monday. <laughs> and in the change room, you know, you get your kegs off. I was like, listen here, <laughs> <laughs> get him while he's you know trapped. <laughs> oh, no, um, I got to talking. I told you like I was joining Marines and. and and then from there, you kind of like, you must have invited me down to come. I must have told you I did Thai boxing a lot, and you must have uh, talked about jujitsu, and then invited me to come down and train with you. So, oh right, okay, because I I don't remember it the same way. So did did you come train jujitsu with us before you went to the court? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was after. I thought when you came out, you were kind of like a little lost puppy somewhere, and I kind of like put my arm around you and said, "Come on." Well, that is also true, but All right, okay. <laughs> but yeah, before. Um, before that, you took me down to pick me up just outside David Lloyd's. You know, this for a good. Yeah. It was about a good month, month and a half or so. That's right. Um, took me down to GB Leeds. Uh, did a, like the classes you were teaching. Met Tom. Let me train for free for that month, which was awesome. Um, met a few people like um, Tanya. Uh, probably met. Met Tanya. Met Nigel. Met. Um, Pete Hall. Um, but Martin. Bramble Walsh, did you meet Martin? Dr. Yeah, Martin. I did. He took me home one time. That was nice. So Dr. Martin's kids, he trains, his brown belt trains at Lewis's place. His kids both train here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, yeah, so then... Because to... I was teaching the fundamentals classes, I think, as a brown belt at the time. Yeah, that sounds right. Obviously, I met Lewis. Um, you talked about him. He's like, oh, yes, my, my best mates. He's awesome. So then, yeah, then left for the Marines came back and then yeah it was a bit lost hadn't didn't want to get back into Thai boxing 
various reasons. You started ultra running or something stupid, didn't you? Just yeah, I started just doing like random testing myself kind of events. Um, but then I think I just reached out to you some like near the new year, being like, oh, you still training and stuff. And then you talked about Chris about Harrogate and me, you and Jim went down there basically. And that was it. Yeah, Jim's another person who, uh, Jim the Blue Belt, Jim Montner, who you might have met, against someone that I introduced to jiu-jitsu. Um, and I think, you know, like, you know, maybe we'll get into this later on, but the greatest thing around the, that you can ever do in jiu-jitsu, it sound, it's, this sounds a bit kind of like cultish, but is to share it with other people because you just know, like, you wouldn't be sitting here today if we hadn't had a conversation, I hadn't said in jiu-jitsu, like, it just wouldn't happen, yeah. probably. So, like, to, to think back, um, and if you as a member ever refer anyone in who becomes a member, it's such a lovely thing to see them grow and develop and know that you played a little part in that. Because um, you know yourself what you, how powerful jiu-jitsu is for you and your development as a person. So to be able to share that is a real gift. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah, those relationships I think you make are like, for me, is like far more valuable than any technique I've learned, for instance. Like 100%. my friendship with Camille, for instance, like through Thai boxing is like, be like a type of friend who I could not speak to for years at, at times has been and then we just pick up the same conversation we had yep. and it goes on and it's like no time has passed at all right um similarly like you know Jim like we can go a couple of weeks without speaking to each other and then it's, everything's it's not like oh how are you like <laughs> what have you done? you've got that real shared um interest haven't you I think that's another key thing of it yeah you've got that shared connection um nice lovely good do you move on to the next question yeah let's do it yeah all right, let's see what we got. Okay, well, we've had we've got two from from Leslie. Um, I'll ask, I'll tell you them both because they might uh, um, come together. If you could start GBRL again, is there anything you would have done differently? And what is the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Um, I'll answer the second one first. So the biggest lesson I've learned so far is that I. Sh- don't take this the wrong way, anyone listening. I shouldn't give so much of myself to people. Mm-hmm. Um, what perhaps people don't realise, and we'll, we'll come on to this later because I want to talk about something specific, but like, as as the head instructor here, the, the owner of this place, like, I'm so invested in all my students. Like, they don't even realise. If, if you're coming to class and thinking, I'm paying this guy money to come and train, like, you're just not getting it. Like, I'm so invested in absolutely, well, you know, because we talk about I'm so invested in absolutely everyone's journey. Um, personally, technical-wise. And so that, I notice loads of stuff on the map that people aren't aware that I notice. I notice if someone's having a bad day or whatever, and I'll often reach out to people separately and discuss that type of stuff. I'm really conscious of people and their development. And so, but I think a lesson I learned after a few months was when, I, when my phone was ringing off the hook, all hours of the day, my personal phone, is that I perhaps gave too much of myself too early. And so what we've done is to try and maintain the level of connection and the care, level of care, we've brought soaps in. As someone who is, you know, fantastic at understanding people and has a history, a rich history of kind of care and culture and organisation and bringing her into, to be that buffer between me and the members on a, on a care thing. So I can then focus wholly on their jiu-jitsu development, knowing, sleeping well at night, knowing that their care has been taken care of. And I didn't get that right at the start. I was I gave too much to some people and they took a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Um, some people didn't, but the, sometimes the more you give to people, the more they want to take. And people took a lot from me. Um, well, they remain nameless, but they, they took a lot from me. And they know who they are. So, um, well, those people aren't in the academy anymore. So there's a, that stuff kind of comes around. And if I, would I do anything different if I did it again? Um, no, I don't think so. There must be something that would change. I don't think so, man. Well, you've done anything, had you known how quickly we would have grown? Differently, differently? No, because I, like, we, we, I did everything we possibly could on the budget that we had and the time frame that we had. So the amount we put into this place financially and the time you and I both put in, um, because everyone needs to know that, you know, T put an equal amount of time in to this place in terms of building it. Um, so we couldn't do any more. You and I were here till 10 o'clock at night, straight after my work, we'd come here, we'd, we'd do the place up every weekend from June, July, all the way through to December, the week before we opened. Yeah. We were in here like every weekend, pretty much all day and all night. So um, we couldn't do any more. Uh, no, I don't think so, man. I think there's a, a little bit of good fortune in the decisions that I took. Some of them are directly relatable to input that you had around the they ask you answer stuff and the way we turned everything that Gracie Baja it tells you to do from a brand perspective we kind of turned on its head we prioritized content over sales initially and that's paying off now um i, I can't think of anything i would have done differently yeah it's hard to... that's not in any way arrogant that i yeah. think our growth has been so tremendous and unforeseen matt ogden who if you listen to his podcasts great guy built a, a hugely successful business he said to me, Mike, you'll have 400 members by the end of the year. And I said, mate, I'm not being funny. You don't know jujitsu. There's no way that you cannot have 400 members after a year. He said, I'm telling you, you have 400 members after a year. We're like two months in and we're on like 2.30 this morning. So mate, we might have. 2.31 now. 2.31. <laughs> we, might, we might have like two, we might have 3.50, 400 members. Who knows? Mm. It depends, doesn't it? Like I keep saying to you every week, this has to slow down. And every week, the same amount of people join up. It's just mental. Yep. Um, I can't think of anything, Leslie. But if the, if if I've missed something, and you guys think he hasn't thought of that, then I want you to tell me. It's your academy at the end of the day. Okay, uh, this one from uh, Johnny Gration. What is the biggest light bulb moment for you starting out at BJJ? so many I was chatting to someone the other day about progression in jiu-jitsu um, I'm trying to trying to detail because it's not a steady curve you were talking about it too right like you said to me I feel like I've had a little jump mm. and there's kind of this there's these kind of long plateaus in your development and then there's these light bulb moments that Johnny talks about where you kind of jump a little a level and then plateau again and it seems to go in steps I think I think perhaps the biggest light bulb moment which has helped my learning is the discovery of concepts and principles that underpin all of the techniques that you learn in jiu-jitsu um, and I'm quite proud that a lot of what I espouse and talk about from a conceptual point of view which is what I understand to be jiu-jitsu 
I then hear spoke about in exactly the same way by people like John Danaher, who truly understand it. And I don't profess to know jiu-jitsu the way he knows jiu-jitsu, but a lot of what I talk about or what I have spoken about isn't me copying him. That's what I understand. And he's saying the same stuff. So I think I've kind of nailed that. I understand that concept and principle stuff. And that is that was only learned, I think, maybe at brown belt level for me. So, you know, because before then it was... Like there were some principles, but they were learned ad hoc and it, it was through discovery. You know, like, ah, oh, right, if I do this, then, and, and hang on a minute, if I do that, like there, there and there, it's all the same, right? Mm. This is like a, like the bottom leg principle. You know, if you control the bottom leg, the person can't stand up. Like I didn't learn that till I was a purple belt, I think. But that concept is the same with the bottom arm and everything in terms of control. So I think, the light bulb moment of knowing that underneath the whole of the techniques that you could ever learn is a strong band of kind of concepts and principles that if you learn that, if you know them, you know every technique pretty much because they all require these concepts and principles to take place for them to be effective. Um, and I think that's why when I'm teaching, I always try and ask, answer the question why. If, if a student's ever asking me, but why did you do that? I perhaps haven't explained it in, in the right way. Because if you understand why, then you, you understand everything. And I think students get, members get fixated on learning techniques and collecting techniques. What they really should try and understand is those concepts and principles and learn those deeper meanings within jujitsu. Because once you know them, you know everything pretty much. Um, for me, kind of on a similar vein, I remember I was interviewing Jeff and Lewis and I was talking to them like what it's like to be like rolling as a black belt and I had like a light bulb moment of like how much of a psychological kind of warfare is going on basically of like how much it's like of um, how many steps ahead they're thinking of. Strategy. Yeah. Strategy, tactics, like the deceptions and like traps and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. That at the time I just hadn't even thought about of like oh I'm doing this technique to you and that's the technique I'm going for and hadn't thought any more further along that and that kind of just resonated me resonated with me um, from like the other kind of martial arts stuff that I that I like from like obviously like the art of war and stuff like that yeah. or some like Miyamoto Musashi's kind of stuff and um, I think then it then it also got solidified in one, in a class one time. I can't remember who, which teacher it was. It was just like saying like, "Oh, if you want the armbar, go for the choke." And then if it's like from mount, and then it was like, "If you want the armbar, if you want the choke, like threaten an armbar." Like, yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> and that for me was like. <laughs> there's, there's lots of them. So there's one I was talking about the other week, which I think is a really in fact last week, which is a really key one because if you get this nailed early. And again, like I didn't know this until I was like a brown belt or whatever. And I had to discover a lot of it myself. Because don't forget, when I was coming through, there were no instructionals. Like there was none. Mm. So now you can go down the rabbit. No YouTube when I bloody started. Like it just, it just didn't exist. So like once you start to understand that, you can inverse jujitsu like, like that. So if you're learning bottom mount, mount from bottom escape, you know that what you need is what your opponent does not want you to have. So you can learn just as much from the bottom about the top and about the bottom from the top. 
And you and then when you start to understand that, there are positions in jiu-jitsu like, um, yeah, the mount, for instance, which is basically, if you inverse it, it's closed guard. So like then it's like, oh man, right, okay. Mm-hmm. So if you understand from the bottom what your legs are doing and what your body's trying to do, when you inverse it, that that's the closed guard, then you can learn it even twice as much. So once you start to look at it, jiu-jitsu, and this may be boiling people's brains right now, but when you start to fully, truly see that, it just opens up this like next like level, this other portal to a whole new view of what we're doing. Um, what I would say is like, don't, whilst it's great to know these and learn these things, don't expect yourself to know them soon. They come through experience and time. It's just I'm sharing them with you now, so you've got, you know that they're there. Like, no one shared them with me. I didn't know they were there. Mm-hmm. You had to just discover them. Yeah. And and there's a difference, isn't it, between, like, knowing the theory and then also having it as a skill. Yeah. And so one of those things that you talked about there from the strategy side of things, another thing that I think when you're rolling with higher level, people like, I spoke about this last week again, for those who are in class, about and I was trying to explain it as feeling exposed, like someone pulling my trousers down in public. Mm-hmm. Like if so, if I feel someone move a certain way against my body, just from the years and years of rolling, I, f- I feel an internal almost panic button goes off. Like I just, it feels wrong, mm-hmm. feels odd. And I talked about my wife, like hugging me, like with two hands underneath my back. It's like, never happens. I can't, it's almost like I can't allow it, which is weird, but it's true it just feels odd um i can't hug someone on the back like this i have to gable grip like that's not just like oh look at me i'm, I'm into jits bro i gable grip my no that that's how i hug my kids it's just so ingrained of just doing this and doing this and doing this it's just it's just what it is um so don't expect you to be you know to be that now you will just collect techniques but over time you should start to see the world through a slightly different lens Good stuff. Okay. Good question, Johnny. That. Um. Let's see which one first. Let's lighten things up a bit. And Tom and Oz, um, ah, Professor Tom. Tom. Yeah, nice. Has, Shout out to Tom. Yeah, podcast number ten. If you want to go listen to it. Uh, how do you keep your hair so nice? Delicious. <laughs> 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 Well, Tom. Any hair care routine tips? Well, it doesn't matter what Tom does. He's ginger, so like you know, no matter what he does, it's never going to look good. Johnny Grayson, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Wash it once a day, yeah. And I also use I blow dry it, not into style, just because I need to get it done quick. Of course you do. And then and then a little bit of wax, Tom. A little bit of wax, yeah. And a good a good hairdresser, yeah. Your hairdresser gives like a little head massage as well. I do get a massage before. A coffee during and sometimes they say do you want your feet up Mike and then they send the massage machine on <laughs> all right um, Ollie Goss best way to maximize time off the mats learning resources etc well I mean you're the one to ask here so you you look at a lot of instructionals yeah I don't have the time although I made time I made time this weekend because I've been saying for three years I want to learn the leg lock game in detail and I haven't been practicing it and so I've made a commitment that in my jiu-jitsu I will, I will develop that. So um, I think online instructionals are okay. Two, there's two, two things you need to be able to do. You need to take the knowledge on board 
they need to have a period of skill acquisition. And if you, you can take all the knowledge in the world, unless you refine it and develop it through practice, it's useless. Yeah, you're just one of those people who goes around talking about jujitsu, like you know what you're talking about. I always get wary around people who've been in jujitsu for so long. This, is, this isn't across the board. I'll, I'll, I'll just caveat this: who talk like a black belt in jujitsu, but the white belt's on the map. I worry about them because that that is that is a dangerous thing. People going around. I've met so and so. I've done so and so. I've been in jujitsu for so and so long. I've done blah 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 blah. All right, cool. What you like a brown belt? I'm a white belt. Oh, what happened? You know, you you, you don't want to be knowledge focused. You need to be knowledge hungry early on. But you need to interlace that with periods of skill acquisition, which come through good quality training partners. Finding them. So I had Lewis, I had Khalil, Adam to a certain degree, but the, and Tom obviously. Um, who were people that we would practice regularly with and refine our skill uh, and our knowledge. And to find someone in, in your circle who can, you can help you, I think instructionals are good, but then you need to put some mats down somewhere and come and practice or come to class more. Um, outside the academy, if you can't get in, yeah, I think instructionals are good to a degree, but I would focus on one specific thing. Uh, and not kind of like overload yourself with information across all levels. I would pick one thing, maybe it's, and it should be something fundamental like close guard, you know, back, whatever it is, find a position, study it, but then come into class and try and implement it. That's the key thing really. That's what I would do outside of class. If I was, well, at any belt level. Yeah, I concur, I think. Um, just knowing like, just blasting through and watching as much kind of content as you can isn't there's too much right you'll get overwhelmed which is really easy in jiu-jitsu um but picking something like like i i watched um homel bahal's kind of a knee cut instructional recently like that for me like seeing the way like one of the best guys in the world who doesn't knee cut explaining knee cuts is like that's crazy, right? Like he's spending in you know however long it was with Homolo being like, oh yeah, this is why I grip like this, and this is the situations I would do it. Yeah, pressuring here because I want to get this reaction. Like deepens my understanding of that thing, but having an understanding of it without being able to then put it into practice would be very like quite naive and it's pointless. Yeah. Um, I'd also add like something that uh, Andrew uh, Wiltsey, um is quite up and coming, big name in jiu-jitsu at the moment uh, through the Daisy Fresh documentary and the Pedigo submission fighting guys uh, talked about was like um, watching a lot of competition footage and not just always the black belts because um, some of the most innovative kind of stuff comes through in like some of the purple belts and brown belts games. Uh, and also some of the guys who are putting out instructionals that are big names might not always be the best teachers because they might say that they do something one way but then when you watch them in competition they do it a completely different way yep. and it's just the way that they think they're doing it and the way it actually happens ends up being different yeah 
Yeah, I would really caution anybody who's learning. I mean, there's no, let's just say this. There's absolutely no substitute to come to class. You cannot get good at Jiu-Jitsu at home for the very reason you need a training partner. You need a training partner. You, you can only do so much on your own. The things I would focus on, just to go back to Ollie's point, if I could practice anything at home as a white belt, it would be movement. That would be it. So let's get cut to the chase. Movement. You don't need a training partner. Don't need much space. It's all on our YouTube, costs you nothing. Practice your movement until it's efficient, fast, effortless, and perfect. That will carry across every technique and every role you ever have for the rest of your career. In Jiu-Jitsu, the rest of your time, your journey, whatever. That's what I would do. Um, I would not spend thousands of dollars on instructionals like Coach T. Um, he's a student of the game and he's working full-time in Jiu-Jitsu Academy. That is different to most people. Um, so you, you're hungry for that information. You get to bounce ideas off me, come train, come teach and refine it. Most people don't get that opportunity. So I would just say hip escape, bridge, roll around, move well, look at Gymnastica Natural, try and move like those guys. Sounds good. All right. I think we've got one more. And don't buy John Anna's leg lock mastery DVD when you're a white belt because you can't use it for six years. Unless you go in ADCC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's it for questions, actually, mate. All right, easy. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? We've gone about 35 minutes so far. Yeah, I'll talk about something. So, um, and this is in no way to um, kind of knock uh, these people, but um, people won't, will know who I'm talking about when I talk about this, but it's an important thing to, to learn from. So this week, a couple of our members left. They were founder members, and they were here from the beginning. Uh, they had trained in multiple academies before, um, and they left this week, and within one day, were sporting T-shirts of a different affiliation. Um, and, and that's fine. That's great. Um, although we knew nothing of this change, it's worth saying, until it happened. Well, I got an email saying they would be leaving, and then it happened. Um, and the reason I raise it is because I think choice in jiu-jitsu is great and absolutely we're not perfect, you know, and people have a choice and they should go where they want to train, absolutely. But take it from me, when you look back on your jiu-jitsu journey, no one, if you're chasing belts and promotions and the reason you're moving around gyms is because you want to get promoted, let's say, um, not saying that was their reason, but let's say that is a reason for some people and, and it is. Um, no one will ask you how, to, how long it took you to get to Blue Belt. I've never been asked it. No one's going to ask you that. They will ask you who gave you your black belt. And they will, and no one's going to give you that your black belt unless they know you well. So if you show up as a brown belt, guess what? You're going to be a brown belt for another two, three years. Because no one's going to give you the black belt straight away. Um, because they're putting their name to your lineage. Um, and people will probably ask you how long it took you to get the black belt. That's the only two questions. Like, how long? just out of interest, and who gave you your black belt, those are two things. The thing that will matter most to you when you look back and reflect on all that time and all the experiences you had and how you've developed is who you did it with and the relationships that you, you build and the trust and the loyalty that, that, that you gave to those people and they gave to you. That's what really counts. And I do think that 
this kind of almost there was a, a you know the name creanche is not used now but it was used back when i started training a lot because it was rare that people changed training gyms very rare and if it happened it was like a big deal so like you okay there bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like when keenan left lloyd urban's gym it was like a huge deal and he was like hated by a lot of people and before then like if you left it was just people hated you man um it's not like that now, and I think that's a good thing. People have a choice, but I just would caution anybody who is, and I'll just say this, it's, this is not to keep them in our academy because they don't want to be here. I don't want them as members. I want you to go, no problem. But if you're stuck in a rut and you're plateaued or you think you should be promoted, but you haven't been, go and speak to your instructor. Go and speak to your head instructor, your professor, have a conversation, get it out there, get it off your chest with whatever's bothering you and trying to understand, because there's always reasons behind it. So the guys who've come to our academy with stripes on their belt will be the last to be promoted. Because they have to show me that they are commensurate, that those stripes are commensurate with their ability, their attitude, their team mentality, that they're a right fit for our gym, because they've experienced jiu-jitsu somewhere else. So you're gonna be the last to be promoted. And part of that is to see if you really wanna be a part of our academy. And we've seen with some people, they're not ready to wait. They want to go and try and find that next stripe. Um, you know, that those people I'm talking about, I remember the first time they ever came to the academy and the only question they asked me was, when will I be promoted? I remember that. Um, and that, it's a red flag. And you're chasing something which is, it doesn't mean anything. A stripe on your belt means nothing really in the grand scheme of things. What really matters is relationships, loyalty, delayed gratification, overcoming tough times, those are the things that matter when all said and done reflect. So, you know, if you ever feel, if any of our members ever feel like they're unsure whether they're on the right track, or maybe you think you are definitely a blue belt now and I haven't promoted you for a while, come and have a conversation. There'll be a reason why you're not. And I'll tell you what it is. Um, I would encourage most everyone else just to get on with jujitsu and enjoying it for what it is. And don't overthink um, kind of where you're going and stuff like that. that that's just what I wanted to say there. So don't be, I'm not surprised that people will leave us. That's fine. Some people I want to leave and I'll ask them to leave. Some people will leave because they're not happy. Probably that's down to me and I'm happy with that as well. I'm not going to gel with everybody. Um, but know this. Here, we care about you more than you'll ever, ever know. So, you know, no one's going to care about you as much as us. I can, I can guarantee that. I can guarantee it because I know what we're like and I know what I'm like. Um, so if you're not happy here with this amazing facility, the great teaching and the amount we care about you, I don't know what you're looking for. And that's why I worry about those people that keep traveling around. You know, what's the problem? Is it all the different gyms or is it that person? and what they're looking for in jiu-jitsu. Um, I don't think they're really perhaps in it for the right reasons. Comes back to a little bit of a point that Robert Drysdale made as well around this splitting of the martial art we spoke about this morning. Yeah. You know, there's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We are a Brazilian jiu-jitsu academy, not a submission grappling academy, we're not a sport academy. We do do that, of course, we do do that. But this is as much martial art as it, as it anything else. It's here to develop you as a person and sticking through things through tough times and keeping going when you feel like you're making no progress, 
um, and then getting those light bulb moments that Johnny was asking about, that that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, man. It's not about how many stripes you've got on your bloody blue belt or your purple belt or how fast you got to whatever. It makes no difference, man. And you should never compare your journey to anyone else's. It's yours. Um, so yeah, I would just just a note there for people, you know, who are perhaps looking at all these other options and saying, "Oh yeah, but that guy started training at the same time as me, man. He's like a purple belt now, and I'm still a white belt." Like, yeah, but you you probably could still beat him. Do you want to be that purple belt? Who can't is is not credible? Do you want to be that? Probably not. Um, yeah, what do you think on that one? Um, it's a sensitive topic, but yeah. I think it's worth one worth raising. I'd say like I'm not against people uh, cross training. Like I think yeah, that that only adds um, adds value and, and showcases how good um, one academy can be, for instance. But I think um, having like I was saying earlier with like me and Camille or me and Jim, right? It's like the techniques I learn at one place are uh, not as important to me as the like, relationships I've made with with people. Like I like I'll. Have, there's no particular time on the mat was like when I look back and be like, oh, that was awesome. As much as like I can say, oh, that day I had spending with like Camille was like an awesome day, and like I really treasure that memory right. rather than like. Oh, I learned some great technique today, and it it's, it was great. Oh, like got my you know, black belt in Thai boxing or something like that. Like I don't care about that. Like mm. I, uh, but those kind of long term kind of relationships I have like are very meaningful to me. Yeah, it's a funny one, man. I think it's one worth worth pondering on and worth people thinking about. I, th- I mean, I'll tell you where I'm at. Like as a as, as someone's professor. Because I invest in them emotionally, if someone left, unless it was for a good reason and a reason that I could understand, I'll be hurt by it. Because, and I think that also, if people are honest, they're hurt by the amount of investment you make in somebody to see them leave. It feels like a betrayal. That's what it feels like. Um, and so I'm still learning to. to to deal with that as a as an academy owner and a, a professor for people, but it feels like a betrayal. Um, so yeah, be just be sure if you're going to do that, be sure because once that happens, the trust is gone. For me, anyway, the trust is gone. The relationship's fractured, and it would take it'd be very. I'm not saying it was irretrievable. It'd be very hard to build it back up because I kind of it's like in the Marines, man. Like when you're in training, they're trying to break you. They're trying to get you to leave. The day you say, the mo- the second you say, I'm gone, I'm opting out, they view you differently. You're not one of us. You, could, you haven't got the strength of mind to be one of us. And I think if you decide to leave our team, to come back, it'd be a very, I'll say it's a, it's, it can never be done, but it'd be a very difficult thing to do because mm. you've kind of, you've left your team. And the team is important. That, that, culture around togetherness and being together and sharing adversity as a team if you step out of that to join another team you're saying i don't want to be part of your team basically um and that's a tough message yeah 
And if you think you're going to stay friends with those people, you might for a few months, you won't long term. Yeah, one of those, um, one of the things that got really highlighted in those kind of Daisy Fresh documentaries I mentioned earlier was like how, like the importance of like a team and like a close knit team um, and the kind of things that breed good culture in that team. It's like one of the reasons I ended up reading that uh, legacy book about the, uh, the All Blacks, yep. even though I've got no interest in rugby, as yep. showcased in many rugby podcasts we've done recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I get what you're saying. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to finish on this. I'm not saying this to keep people in. Like I want to say that, like you have a choice, and you should exercise your right to choice. Absolutely, we're not the we're not the cheapest in Leeds. Um, you know, there's other great black belts out there you could learn from. Um, there are people who are more patient than me. You won't find anyone more invested in you than me. I can guarantee that. But this is, I'm not saying this to keep people in. If, I hope it doesn't sound like that. I'm just warning against the very real choice you might make and the regrets you might have around it. Because I think people, when they look back and continue to see our economy grow, not just in numbers, but in, in culture, and we start to have blue belts growing within this club and purple belts and brown belts and black belts, and it only becomes better and only becomes bigger and this place expands and maybe we take another's premises or whatever we do and it becomes this amazing thing. And you could have been in that from the beginning and been an integral part of the fabric of who we are. I'm not sure there's any other academies in Leeds that are gonna do that. I can't see it. Yeah. Because they would have done it already and they're not doing it. Yeah. And those are our plans. So, like, you know, who do you, where, where do you want to be? Maybe training out of a garage somewhere, you know, or do you want to be training in the best place in the city with the most amazing supportive team? That's that's a choice you've got to make. For sure. Um, anything we want to talk about? Just finish with um, bearing in mind this will come out around twenty fourth of June, something like that. Well, the Victor seminar is happening pretty soon after that, right? Yep. Which is super exciting. Um, so, anyone who's got tickets for that, lucky you. Um, we may or may not have announced by then another seminar we're hosting in the summer that's huge um, I won't mention it now in case it falls through mm-hmm. um, but that would be amazing if, if we have mentioned it you should be very excited and be trying to get down to that um, it'd be a little bit more expensive than a normal one but you know it's a bit different um, and hopefully goes to show what we're trying to do in Jiu Jitsu in terms of bringing the biggest names to you um, what else? Oh, a few days later, we'll have the ladies only self-defense seminar, which is, I'm, I'm very proud of hosting, um, for the first time. And I think this will become a regular, uh, slot that we do. Um, and the reason we're doing it is to try and make as many people in our community safe, particularly women. Um, so I'm very excited to share what I know to them, not just on technique, but mainly around conflict management and situational awareness. Um, so people are a little bit more safe and that's very exciting. Um, big expansion plans coming. So uh, we've had some structural drawings done and we're just waiting on a quote from um, a builder to knock through and make two separate but joining mat spaces, which is huge. So um, we know that the government are gonna put back the opening of restrictions for four weeks. We should have live training back by the time you hear this, or certainly be planning for it. And then at the end of, when we come back from the summer break, we'll have a GB2 program running as well. So that's very exciting. Yeah, loads going on, man. And then 
by the time we're back for summer break, we've got competition coming up. And then... Oh, and I'm recruiting for a programme director. So, yep. you know, if you... We're going to put something out before you hear this, but if you just hear it on there, if you're looking for a career within jiu-jitsu because you love it so much and you want to make a difference to a lot of people, then I'm looking for, you know, the next T to basically sit alongside in our kind of management team and, and run the academy. So that's very exciting for somebody as well. Be a full-time position. Awesome. I think that's everything, man. What a great podcast. Love to speak to you again, man. Always nice to speak to you, Mike. We'll see you on the mats, guys. See you guys.